0: Praise the Lord. Thankful to be in yet one more service. This is the one that we've been looking for right here. This is the one before the rest, amen. Thank you all for being here every single night and just, if you haven't been here every single night due to work or whatever the case may be, we're glad you're here today. Thankful that I get to see your face. I'm thankful I get to worship with all of you today. Thank you so much for just being here with us the past few days, it's been an amazing time. I've been humbled. I love the people of God and uh, there's nothing more terrifying than ministry because here's the revelation, you're his bride. And man, when you're preaching to God's wife, that's a scary thing, amen? And I intend to always remember that. Um, thankful for God, thankful to God. Genesis chapter 7, verse 18. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights here and then we're going to jump to Genesis chapter eight I honor your pastor brother paulson so thankful for him thankful for the invitation to be here i'm thankful for his passion his burden i'm thankful for his leadership his kindness i'm thankful for he and his family amen thankful for bishop thankful for the the bible says to give double honor to those that have labored in doctrine so i honor them thankful for them honor their family amen genesis 7 and you're going to notice some words here it says the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. Verse 19, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. Verse 20, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward. Verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The way Jewish literature works is when they repeat something over and over and over again within such a short uh, span of verses. It is their way of highlighting something. It's, uh, they don't have punctuation, you understand. They can't put an exclamation point. They don't have the use of those uh, grammatical rules. So what they do is they use the grammar they can and they just repeat over and over and over. The exclamation point here is the water's winning, but verse eight shifts gears. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind, that's important. He made a wind to pass over the earth. And when that wind started blowing, the waters subsided. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. And he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. She returned into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. The word waited there is the Hebrew word yachal. It means hoped. And he hoped yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. Thank God he was hoping it's working. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited, he hoped yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. I want to minister these three words to us today here in this very last service of this revival, this conference, I want to preach to you today. When hope or when rest, hopes, when rest, hopes, There is a great, profound truth. I I tell this to people all the time. If you lay the Bible out as a rug, you can pull on Genesis, the string, and you'll see it tugging in Revelation if it's a true doctrine. And so I wanna pull on the string today and I wanna show you some powerful truths that's gonna give us rest and some hope. Now would you lift up your hands and let's pray to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you honor, give you glory. Lord, nothing of any value could take place in this room unless you do it. So I submit myself to you. God, I want to speak your word, only your word. None of my opinion, only what's in the book. I ask it in your precious name that you would equip us today, that you would minister to us today, that your word would do its work, oh God. I simply communicate what your word is saying. and Father, I submit myself to you. Lord, whatever takes place in this house today that is by your spirit, we won't take any credit for it. We'll return it back into heaven from whence it came for you are the one who does all things and you do them well. So we trust you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone say amen. 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 You may be seated. All of this starts in the Garden of Eden. Every single ounce of it begins there and that's where it's gonna end later. It starts in a garden, the middle point of our Bible's in a garden, it ends in Revelation in a garden where we were granted access to the tree of life. All of it revolves around that garden. And the purpose for the garden was God wanted to dwell with mankind. That's the whole point of it. God made all of this. He made us so that we would dwell with him. And the word for Eden is the Hebrew word Eden, it means pleasing, it's pleasurable. And I don't believe that God gave it that name because it was aesthetically beautiful only. I don't believe that that name was given to it just because it had perfection in it. But I believe it was because mankind was there with God. And I can stand on that because the Bible says he beautifies the meek with salvation and he takes pleasure in his people. God is pleased with his people that abide in covenant with him that join with him and are in that most holy place, the garden in Eden. So there is a most holy place that we're called to. And that's where Adam and Eve would dwell. That was the home for mankind. And Adam just means human for he was made from the ground or soil rather. It comes from the soil because he comes from the Aduma, So Adam comes from Aduma. And God doesn't stop there, though. He creates a woman, but notice where woman is birthed from. Man was made from dust, raw material. God forms this man, and you'll notice that God comes down, and the Bible says he allows a stream of water to cover the ground, and he forms Adam. He baptizes dirt. He forms the man, and the Bible says he breathes into him his neshama in Hebrew, which is his, his spirit is breathed into him, and it is a a. Theology, a doctrine that God formed the earth, he filled it up. He also formed Adam and filled him up. God didn't leave Adam empty, he formed him and then filled him. All from his breath, he breathes into Adam. And now Adam is finished. It is the complete work. He is a finished creation. He's no longer soil. He has been created. He has been formed. He has been filled. And God puts him to sleep. Now you understand that Adam was a fully articulate being. He was coherent enough to look at all the animals and say, none of these are suitable for me. He was a created being with an intellect. He was a finished product that started with raw material, soil. And that's what woman was made from. Woman was made from the finished work of a human. She was made from bone. And so she comes forth and the Bible calls her Eve, which is the Hebrew word Chava, it means life. And so now Adam will have to choose between the tree of life or eating the fruit from the hand of life. And at this point, God told him, He says, your diet, you know, you understand that man and animal are both made on the same day, day six. Mankind is second born on day six behind an animal. And God gives the second born dominion over the first born. You shall have dominion over the animals. And there was a beast of the field that was wiser than all the other ones that wasn't real happy about that evidently and just asks a question and mankind falls from eating the tree which God told him not to eat. Now, God wanted to teach them the knowledge of good and evil because he taught it to Solomon. Solomon said, I want the ability to discern between good and evil. Tree of good and evil is not bad. Knowing that there's a good tree and a bad tree is good and evil. God is teaching them himself God is saying, come and learn from me what is good and evil. Don't do it on your own accord. And so a woman named life saw that it was pleasing to the eyes, desirable to one, make one wise. She took and ate and then she gave it to the human. And rather than the human eating from the tree of life, he eats from the hand of life. We're not real good with life as we've proven through history. And so this begins the downfall. And if you remember, mankind is second born on day six. And to drive a distinction between the first born and the second born, God tells the animals, you're gonna eat from the grass of the ground. And he tells the humans, you're gonna eat from the fruit from the trees. Their diet is different. Mankind is naked, they're not ashamed. They're clothed according to Psalm with the glory of God. That is their clothing. But at rebellion, the glory lifted and now they're no longer clothed. They see that they're naked and ashamed. And so to cover themselves, they reach for the trees And they clothe themselves with what is good, but what is good isn't always what is 100% godly. We created a religion right there in the garden by we deciding what is good. I will cover myself with what I deem good. And in that moment is where religion began. And there is, before we, we, there's a whole subculture right now making fun of religion. The word religion's in the Bible in a positive sense, by the way. Pure religion, undefiled before God is this. Religion is good that you see after the widows, that you take care of people. That's When you truly are filled with his spirit, that's gonna be the motive that starts to come out of you. Why? Because your diet's fruit. You start bearing fruit. So they failed and God comes along. And remember the firstborn eats grass, the secondborn eats fruit. And God tells him, he says, cursed are you. He tells the woman, he says, cursed are you now that you're going you're gonna to produce pain and childbearing. There's going to be enmity between your seed and the devil's seed. He then gives the curse to the adversary. and That's a whole theology I don't have time to go off into right now. But then he goes to Adam and he says, cursed now is the ground because of you. The ground is cursed. It shall produce thorns and thistles. And he says, and now you're going to eat grass. Whoa. I'm going to have the diet of an animal. And then God comes and puts a hairy garment on his back. We've become the animal we didn't have dominion over. Right outside the garden, it happens again. Cain and Abel, firstborn, secondborn. The secondborn offers an animal sacrifice. The firstborn kills his brother. God favors the secondborn. It just keeps going on. Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael, the Bible said, was like a wild donkey. He was the firstborn. Isaac, the secondborn, gets the covenant. Jacob and Esau, another firstborn, secondborn. Jacob comes out, a smooth man. His older brother comes out, hairy all over. He's a man of the field. The secondborn gets the birthright back, but he does it through deception. That's not the right way to go about doing it. We have tons of these in the Bible. We are a bunch of animals without the Spirit. We have been marked with the mark of a beast. Uh, You've heard a lot about the mark of the beast. Has anybody told you about the mark of a priest? The mark of a priest has written on his forehead, holy unto God. And what does he do for a living? He kills animals at an altar. Go ahead, let's talk about the mark of a beast the rest of our life, but there's a mark of a priesthood as well. The mark of the priest is the mark of the least. Man, I like amens. I don't get a lot of them here. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. all I don't need them. But right out here we see that mankind has an issue. And now it's a little over a millennia after the famous story of Adam and Eve where we read of a post Edenic world. This is after God. You've got to notice that when mankind failed, the grace of God comes looking for two failures. That's what God does. They messed up, and God doesn't get angry, but God has to be true. He says, I have to to show you the penalty of this, but I'm going to be gracious. And here's how they hear God. The Bible said they heard the voice of God. That's what it says in your English Bible. They heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the day. It doesn't sound like that at all in Hebrew. It says, they heard the language of God blowing in a wind. That's what it says. They heard the kolot of God blowing in a wind. And that voice comes looking for two failures. And when he finds them, he asks a question. Why? Because he's looking for confession. The adversary, when he asks a question, he's looking for confusion. But when the Lord comes along, his voice blowing in a wind, he's seeking correction through confession, not confusion. And notice what Adam and Eve does, they don't confess. They say, the the, the serpent, that's not confession. That's self-justification. I wouldn't have done it if you didn't allow a serpent. The woman that you gave to me, that's that's not confession. True confession is a man like David who makes a mistake with Bathsheba and then writes a Psalm and says, against you and you only, O Lord, have I sinned. Cast me not out from before thy presence. That's confession. I take onus, I'm not blaming Bathsheba. I'm not blaming the devil. I take full ownership of this. God's presence is good. But now we see the world starts getting worse. We see at the death of Abel, we see his blood on the ground crying out. Long forgotten was his righteous sacrifice. In the rearview mirror, we have now descendants of Cain. brags to his wives of killing a man. For the first time in the Bible, one of the descendants of Cain, his name is Lamech, which is the Hebrew word king spelled backwards. He's a warped backwards king. And he says this after killing a man, he says, well, if my great, 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 great grandfather Cain was avenged, then I'll be avenged 77 fold. Little did he know the king of kings would come one day and say, no, you're supposed to actually forgive 70 times seven fold. But he, after one time, a man smiting him on the cheek, he kills him. Now we have needless murder and it's justified by grace. Well, grace was abounding for Cain. God avenged him. God will avenge me for killing a man. Now we in this warped society. The world's getting worse because we're doing Absolute heinous things, and we're just resting on grace because man, let's just keep on sinning. We got grace. God's good, let's do what we want. Needless murder. We have in this, it's it's amidst this sin-filled society that another man named Lamech is introduced through the line of Seth, and he stands up and gives a prophecy in Genesis 5:28. Watch what it says here. He stands up and Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, which is the Hebrew word rest saying this one rest will comfort us concerning our work. That's the curse and the toil of our hands because of the ground, which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. Look at the Look at the age, a man who prophesies rest and rest is gonna come to heal the land from the curse. Listen at the age he dies at, 777. That's poetic. A man who's prophesying rest and has a son and names him rest dies at the ripe old age of 777 years old. His life, it's three cycles of seven, which is gonna be important. This non-distorted Lamech would speak of his son, rest, as one who would comfort us concerning our work. But as we will all too soon find out, a sin-filled society will not rest from her devious works just because a prophetic word has been given. You'll see in Genesis 6, verse 5, that while rest is alive and breathing, while he's walking on this planet, he is there, he is active, he is working. Tells us, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and was grieved in his heart. Jesus Christ would even describe this time as he would allude to the future in Luke 17. He says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroy them. God is not demonizing eating. He's not demonizing drinking. He's not demonizing marrying. He's making an allusion to, he said, these people just went around as if judgment would never show up and was just living it up and never gave one single concern to the prophetic word that had been given, that God was gonna send rest. And while a man named Rest was building a salvific boat, they just went about life and said, well, that's weird, that's crazy. Why are you building a boat to save you and your family? They just went about life as if judgment would never come. That's what Jesus is talking about. And within this hopeless depravity, a beautiful passage with with opposing emotions because we're burdened about the condition of the world, but here this other side of the coin comes into play in Genesis 6, 8. Noah found grace. That word grace comes from that Hebrew root, which means favor, but rest found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Before you assume too much about Noah because of your history of Sunday school and think that he's just a boat builder, please know that 2 Peter 2, 4 calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was also a minister. What did he preach? Every time he would drop a tree and prepare it in preparation to build a boat. It was a message of, I believe something's coming because God said it. I am here by prophetic calling. And my mission and objective is to build a boat based off the blueprints that God has given me. And I'm gonna build this thing, even though everybody else is going about in hopeless depravity, I'm gonna build a boat for me and my family that will save us from what is coming. And he builds this boat and the building of a boat became a message. It became the sermon. Of Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And God says in this passage, he tells us that if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly. If he didn't save the angels and he didn't save the ancient world, what makes us think we're exempt We are only saved if we follow the pattern that Noah followed. Scripture seems to imply that Noah preached to the people of the time about what was coming for. Hebrews 11:7 7 says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. By his faithfulness to building salvation. It became condemnation. Nobody in the ancient world could claim ignorance now. They couldn't stand before God and say, we didn't know. And God would look at them and say, I sent Noah. What do you think he was doing for 120 years? I gave you 120 years to repent. My loving kindness gave you time with a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, A righteous preacher named rest works. He moves with godly fear. As the waters began to rise, a boat built from grace-given blueprints saved a righteous man. God came down and told him, he said, here, you understand that God talks about judgment once in this passage, but he spends an entire chapter talking about the boat. God has to tell about judgment. But he says, that's not the most important part. Let me tell you what to do to escape it. God's passion is on full display. People get mad at God because he sent the flood. And I'm like, well, what about the boat that he also sent that he spent more time talking about? Don't get mad at him about the judgment. God is just, and he has to do what he is in order to be what he is. And so to do that, a godly God has to show forth sin. So judgment has to come. You want it from your judges on earth. If someone hurts your family member, why don't you want it from God? So God comes down. He says, I'm going to be what I am. And what he is, is he has to be just. This isn't righteous. And so God has to judge it. When he does though, he makes sure to let us have time to repent 120 years. And he said, I'm sending you a man named rest. Who's going to build salvation. He meets with brother rest. And he says, here's the blueprints. Whatever you do, you make sure that it has an upper deck, a middle deck and a lower deck. I want three floors inside of one boat. I want you to put one door in the side of the boat. And I want you to take some kefir is the Hebrew word he uses there, which gets translated ironically on another Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, as atonement. He tells him, I want you to put Kafer, atonement on the outside, atonement on the inside. I want you to put it both. Why? I'll show you later, Brother Ress. Just do it. Okay. So he puts atonement on the outside, atonement on the inside. And then you don't see anywhere in the blueprints that the boat has a rudder. It doesn't have a steering mechanism. Why? Because that thing is led wherever God wants it to go. You don't control this salvation. It goes where it wants to. You don't drive it. You just build it. You just make sure that you follow the blueprints. And where the boat goes, that's where the boat goes. And all of a sudden he goes into the side and Genesis tells us, it tells us right there in 616 that the Lord shut him in the power of God put Noah in the boat Noah didn't shut the door God's hand did and as long as God's hand is on the boats And there is atonement on the outside, atonement on the inside. It is the most powerful thing on this planet. I don't care how much water shows up. Nothing's getting in that boat. Nothing can sink the boat. Nothing's going to affect that boat because God's hand's on the boat. Noah, you don't shut the door. I shut the door. I'm going to close you in. You need to have a whole lot more faith in the salvation plan of God that when he covers somebody with his hand, you are secure in him. He builds this boat, but what God didn't tell Noah about is what we read in the opening text prevailing waters We see the waters prevailed in Genesis 7.18. They prevail even more in Genesis 7.19. 720, the waters prevailed. 724 the waters prevailed. It seems as though the water is winning. And you can imagine that the water slamming this boat and it rocking to and fro. And Noah's inside and he's thinking, I thought, I thought I was gonna rest. I thought that my name was rest. I thought that I was gonna bring healing to the land. I can't even see the land out there. All I see is chaos. And he's in that boat. But then he gets a revelation, I imagine, as he looks at the atonement and he says, I can't see the atonement on the outside anymore, but I believe it's working. I have faith in the outside of the atonement, but I can see the atonement on the inside. I'm looking right at it. I'm trusting that that atonement that's on the inside, I don't see any water getting in the boat. So what I can't see, I put my faith in, but what I have evidence of, I believe in as well. I can believe that the outside's working because the inside is. I have faith in what I cannot see because of the blessing of God given to me of what I can see. And he rests inside of salvation. And when the waters were prevailing, the Bible tells us in Genesis 8:1, but Noah found grace. That Noah who found grace, the Bible also tells us that God remembers grace. Noah, now before you think that God forgot, the ancient Hebrew way of fulfilling covenant is when they would say the deity remembered. God didn't forget about Noah. God said, okay, now let's fulfill the covenant. What covenant? It was prophesied that a man named rest would bring healing to the land. He said, okay, I made the promise. Now let's fulfill the promise. I can't leave him out on the waters. And all of a sudden the Bible tells us that a wind Starts blowing. You remember the wind with the voice of God in it that came looking for two failures? (laughs) God saw a society that failed and wind starts blowing over the waters. And when the wind started blowing over the waters, the water subsided. But the boat lands on Mount Ararat. That's the Hebrew word curse. Salvation is on top of a cursed hill. (laughs) <laughs> There's a boat with three floors in it. Thank God he wasn't steering it because he'd have never hit Mount Kirst. God knew where the boat was going. He said, I'm driving it and I know where I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna mount this salvation right on top of a cursed hill. And when it lands on top of that cursed hill, there it lodges as salvation. And Noah climbs up and looks out that window and he says, woo, that's chaos out there y'all. This looks a lot like the world was before God's spirit came and hovered over it. Notice the first thing that the spirit does in Genesis 1, and God said. The first thing the spirit ever did in the Bible was speak. And what did it say? Hia or, let there be lights. You know what that let there be is? Sounds a lot like Exodus when he met with Moses. I will be. In fact, in Hebrew, it's the same word. He said his name and when his name was spoken over the waters light shot forth into the atmosphere he said his name and when his name came out of his mouth it all of a sudden lit up because God was coming into the world and light comes with it it sounds a whole like a whole lot like John 1, don't it? When the word was coming into the world, the darkness comprehended it not. When Jesus came into the word, world, he began to speak some things to us. And right here, the Bible says that the spirit was like a dove. It was fluttering over the water. And while Noah's Ark is on top of a cursed hill, he looks out and he sees the, what the world looked like before God's spirit moved and spoke and light came forth. And he sends out a dove. And that dove goes looking over the water and the dove comes back and the dove looks at Brother Rest and he's like, nah, bro, don't leave. <laughs> Let's rest in the salvation, all right? Don't leave this boat. You, you, Don't go out there. Stay in the salvation until the waters are gone. The wind's blowing. And when the wind started blowing, a dove started flying. And when the dove started flying, he came back and he's like... Do what you know to do, brother, rest. And so he rests for seven days, three cycles of seven. His father who prophesied him died at three cycles of seven, 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 seven. And here is Noah in Ark. He said, okay, dove, come on in. Let's rest seven days. Rest seven days, sends the dove back out. Dove's flying, comes back, and he's like, whoa, what is that? He grabs an olive branch, flies back to Noah, and he says, there's some Eden out there. There's some, there's some, what the world was. God is creating anew again. He's not done with us. Here is some Eden in our midst. Noah says, all right, let's don't get carried away. We want the whole Eden. We don't just want a branch. Let's rest. And so they rest another seven days. And then he sends the dove out. The dove doesn't return. He rests third time, seven days. He comes out of the ark. He builds an altar, kills an animal. This was a micro Eden where a man who had dominion over a bunch of animals. (laughs) Oh boy, the Bible's good, isn't it? He comes out and he builds an altar, kills an animal and God smells the sacrifice like he did with Abel and he comes down and he says, I will never again destroy the earth with water and I don't want you to take my word for it, I'm going to give you something physical. The same way I gave you that inside pitch that you could put your faith in, that you could see, that was tangible that you could know to put to increase your faith, I'm going to do it again. Look up there, son. Brother Ress looks up and a rainbow shoots across the sky and he says every time I fulfill covenant, I always give a sign with it. There's always something that you can see, something you can feel, something that you can hear. And there it is, rainbow. And he says, I'll never again destroy the earth with water, though man's thoughts are evil continually. Whoa, wait a minute, God. That's why you destroyed the earth. You destroyed the earth because our thoughts were evil continually. Why? We haven't We're still sinful. What happened? Why are you giving us this covenant? Why are you giving us this tangible sign? Why are you doing this? Oh, it's because of an altar on a cursed hill. That's why I've given you a covenant. Go down, therefore, be fruitful and multiply. Your diet is supposed to be fruit. Here it is. We see that all of this happened from a man on top of a cursed hill named Rest, hoping. And while he was hoping, the waters descended. While he was hoping, the dove was searching. While he was hoping, the dove came back with Eden. While he was hoping, the water subsided. And by that hope, he stepped out and he said, now we're going to step into the hope that I've had and the rest that I was in. I had Rest because of the salvation. I had hope because of the salvation. Now I can go and be fruitful. And all of that happens. Why am I telling you all this? Because when Jesus shows up, Jesus comes into our world as John one. And it says that he came with a name that was above every other name. His name in Hebrew is Yahshua, which in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. We haven't seen Yahweh do this yet. And Yahweh shows up in the flesh with the man, Jesus. And there he's walking amongst us. And when he came into this world, the world couldn't comprehend him. The darkness couldn't, he was the name and the light coming into the world at the same time and jesus goes to inaugurate his ministry he steps into some water and in the jordan river there's a man wearing a hairy garment baptizing him this is the passing away of the old and we're coming into the fulfillment of the new and as jesus goes under that water the heavens rip open and when it does a dove descends down on him Do you understand that I've spent over half my life studying Hebrew literature Jews don't have numbers in their language they don't have math the way you and I do they can't count one two three their letters are their numbers they're not saying oh the father the dove Jesus that's three in the Trinity no that's Noah's Ark that's the upper deck the middle deck the lower deck but one boat that's the way the truth and the life right there in one man Jesus that is the father the son and the spirit right there in Jesus that is is the high priest, the lamb, and the tabernacle all right there with us. He is all of it. In fact, John said, behold the lamb. Well, wait a minute. I thought he was the priest. I am. Wait a minute. I thought John 1.14 said he's the tabernacle. I am. I am all three floors inside of one boat, but get this. I am also the door. No man go to that top floor the Father except by me. I am the entire boat. And look at the dove. See the dove landing on me. I am Eden in your midst. I am Eden that is I'm gonna reverse every curse that you have seen I am your salvation all of you who are weary and heavy-laden come unto me and I will give you rest if you abide in me you'll abide and you'll have much fruit a man named Nicodemus comes and asks him how how can you say these things I don't understand your theology I don't understand your doctrine and Jesus says except a man be born again of the water and of the Spirit what is the water and the Spirit oh oh, I'm salvation. Forgot to tell you, that's atonement on the outside and atonement on the inside. It's just like those Jews that were in that house. They had to walk through that blood and they're sitting there like, is it working? I can't see the blood. You can't see it. But guess what happened? A wind blew over the Red Sea. and Moses baptized them in the name of Jesus. Did you know that? It flat out says it. This isn't even me trying to twist the scripture. They said, did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? And Moses looks at them and says, do not fear. See the salvation of the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord. Lord there is the transliterated word for Yahweh. Salvation is Yah, or the Lord is Yah, and then salvation is Shua. He says Yah Shua. and when he said the name, the waters parted, they went through the waters, and when they went through, their past couldn't follow them. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. The Greek Septuagint says it, it's in the language. And when Jesus came about, he looked at Nicodemus and he said, oh, you gotta put atonement on the outside of this thing and on the inside of this thing. What does that mean? How can I enter into my mother's womb the second time? I don't understand this. He said, that which is born of the flesh. Hold up, time out. You know what the Greek word for flesh is right there? Animal-like behavior. Did I not tell you that you needed to have dominion over those animals? Did you not notice what happened to Adam and Eve when they left the garden? They became a bunch of animals. You see when they started eating grass and they put hairy garments on them. Did you see the guy that just baptized me in the hairy garment? We're done with that. This is the new right here. This is what you're gonna look like when you get filled with my spirit. Everything I'm doing, you're gonna be like that as, as well. Greater work, so you do. In fact, you're gonna see it. You'll get it. And so I'm gonna teach you a valuable lesson right here. I'm here to marry you. But my law says it's an abomination for a man to lie with a beast. I can't enter covenantal marriage with you until you be reborn. <laughs> you are flawed. And so you're gonna have to be born again of water and of spirit. Well, what is this water thing? He uses the word baptizo right there, full immersion. And he said, like, the spirit though, let's talk about the spirit. Do you see that wind Nicodemus? No, I can't see that wind, exactly. How do you know it exists? by the sound, so it is of everyone who's born again. Remember back there when the Lord came looking for two failures and his voice was blown in a wind? You remember the waters that subsided was because of the wind? You remember the waters that parted was because of the wind? You remember 50 days after the waters parted, there is Noah standing or Moses standing at the burning mountain and it falls down and his language is falling in the fire? All of that's coming back in another episode. I'm glad you watched episode one, two, and three because episode four is coming. Tune in next week. It's gonna be the culmination in one moment of all of that being fulfilled at one time. And Jesus looks at him and he says, that's how it is, fellas. That's how it is. I have come to build you a boat. I am your salvation. I am the fulfillment of Noah's ark. I am your rest. Just like he brought about healing for the land and he was able to be fruitful and multiply, I can now bring healing to you. You're my land. The land was healed, but you haven't been. I am the finished work. I am the second Adam. I am perfect and you're gonna be created from me. Oh, it gets good, y'all. When Jesus goes to that cross, there he is. But before he got there, this is what Jesus did. He enters the world through the curse, right? He came through a birth. He didn't split the sky, he split a womb. But not just any womb, a virgin womb. It's impossible. He entered our world through an impossible door. And he partners with the curse. Why? Because I gotta reverse the curse. I am also the seed of woman I told you about. And so I'm gonna go crush Satan and put him under my feet. But to do that, I'm gonna do it in a way nobody understands stands I'm going to annihilate your adversary with my fruit I'm not going to take up a sword I'm not going to argue with him I'm not going to fight with him I'm gonna be light. and when I show up darkness leaves and my light looks like love my love looks like joy my love looks like peace my love is here I am here and I'm going to rush out of this world every bit of chaos I am the wind I am the voice I am the spirit I am the father I am the son I am the spirit I am the priest I am I am the lamb. I am the tabernacle. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am that I am, and I am here for you, and this is pleasing, for I beautify the meek with salvation, and I take pleasure in my people. I need you to kill an animal, but you're the animal, so offer up your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and I will come and be with you. He that abide in me will bear much fruit without no abiding in the salvation he could not bear fruit off the mountain you and I when we abide in Christ we can come and be fruitful and multiply but abiding in him and him in us takes salvation and blueprints He enters through an impossible door. He goes to a garden and in that garden, he hits his knees and he begins to pray. And as he's praying, great drops of blood drop from his brow onto the ground. He's working by the sweat of his brow. He's reversing man's curse now. And when he does, he walks out of there and he says, okay, the trees were made on day three. Day three, I gave you a tree of life and you don't have access to it because I've put two flaming swords guarding the way to it. So I'm gonna give it back to you through fire. What has prevented you will now give you access the fire that kept you will now bring you. I'm gonna put the sword on your mouth. Your sword's gonna to touch your lips and it's gonna grant you access. But here's what it's gonna do. It's gonna kill your flesh. It's gonna circumcise your hearts. That's what those swords were made for. God's given me revelation even now. The angelic flaming swords circumcised our hearts. Because why? Because the Jews couldn't participate in Passover except they were circumcised. They had to have an outward sign of their covenant unto God. It wasn't enough to just say, "I accept you, Yahweh. Prove it." I proved my faithfulness. I gave you a tangible sign. Are you saying you'm saved by works? Nope. I will say unto you though, show me your faith without your works. And so? He leaves them from there. He says, there, I've worked by the sweat of my brow. Now, let's take care of them thorns. And he put thorns on his head. They hang him on a tree. And right there, it is the Passover. He gives up the ghost. Why do you think he said it was finished? He was the second Adam. He is the finished work. He was fully articulate, fully the word, fully finished. And when they pierced his side, out came blood and water. Ironically, the same two things that come out of a womb when someone's born. The second Eve came out of the rib of Jesus. You and I come from the finished work of Jesus. Why did Jesus do this plan this way? Because the curse to man was from dust you came and to dust you'll return and you'll be eternally separated from me. But here's the clincher, Jesus had no dirt in him. I've got a mama, I don't have an earthly daddy. Oh, do you understand the power here? This is why Jesus said, where I go, you cannot come. And they debated amongst themselves. Is he saying he's gonna kill himself for when he says where where he goes, we cannot come? He says, no, no, you don't understand. I am from above. You are from beneath. You are of soil, not me. I don't have an earthly father. I got a mama, but she's made of the finished work. And so when Jesus was crucified on that cross, and they took the seed of woman, they put it in a tomb. They buried that seed, and when they did, on the third day, the same day, the trees were made. Jesus comes out of that tomb. Why? Because for three days he was down there, and he looked at them. And he says, "Y'all thought I was going to come back to dust, didn't y'all? You demons thought that y'all. If y'all had only known, y'all had never crucified me," is what it says. You, if you had known that I was the promised seed, if you had known that I was the finished, the finished man, if you had known that I had no dirt in me, if you would have realize that, you would have understood what was always happening. My strategy got you. I'm the ultimate chess player. By killing me, by having no dirt in me, I can't return to the soil. And so what I'm gonna do is now that I'm the, the second Adam, the church will be from the finish work of this Adam, and they won't have any dirt either. When you're born again of water and of spirit, here's what happens to you. You get all the dirt removed from you because now you have a heavenly father and a spiritual mama. The church, the church is. Is now, your mother and the father in heaven is now your daddy, and all the dirt is removed through birth. You have been born again, so you know what happens to you when you die the same thing that happened to Jesus when you die, you resurrect as he did, and you go where he's at. He, when he descended and didn't return, he was the third dimension of the dove that said, I'm going away to prepare the Eden, I'm going to rest there till you will come with me. <laughs> Baptism is like unto the blood, the Bible says. When I get baptized in that water, I can't see the blood. I gotta have faith that my sins are being washed away. And we believe it, why? Because we say the name. And when we say the name Jesus, in Hebrew, we're saying Yahweh is able to save. And when the name comes down, here, let's, let's talk about this. I was in a class and one of my Jewish professors looked at me and we were in a class talking about demons. And he brought up, he said this, he said, did you know the devil doesn't have a name? I said, I did know that. Satan's not a name, that's not a name, okay? It's always started with the article, the Satan. It's not a name, it's a description, it's a title. And then there's the name, uh, or not, not a name, but Lucifer. That's not a name either. That's a Latin word from the Latin Vulgate that never got translated over into our English word. It means son of the morning. Devils, not a name. Demons, not a name. Those are titles. And so I looked at my professor and I said this. I said, he has titles though. I said, he is the father of lies. And he said, yes. He's the son of perdition. He said, yes. I said, and he's an evil spirit. And he said, yes. He said, but Aron, those are titles. I said, exactly. I said, why does the Bible not give him a name? And he said this, he said, because in our culture, when we take from you your name, we strip you of dignity. I said, okay, well then what would happen if I baptized in a title that the devil has, father, son, and spirit? He said, Aaron, you will have reduced our Lord to the same dimension as devil. I said, why is that? And he looked at me and he said, because he was given a name that was above every name. And by that name, every knee's gonna bow and every tongue, every language is gonna confess. He is Lord, he is the one who is able to save. When I say the name over somebody in baptism, it's as if I called on my daddy and he came down, and he said, I respond to that name. And when he comes down, it's him who puts you under. And through death, you go through the same death process he did. God puts you into Kahina, Sheol, the land of the dead. And every demon looks up at you as you're going down. But when they hear the name, you resurrect the way Christ did. And they look at us and they say, that's another one we'll never have. That's another one we'll never have. That's another soul we can't get access to. They're redeemed. But you can't see your sins being removed. But what you can see, repent, be baptized, every one of you. He shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know what God, he gave us a rainbow. He gave us the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And every time it fell, it came with a sign. It was our circumcision. It was cloven tongues like as a fire when it descended upon us. That was the same thing that happened in Exodus 19. That was the same thing that happened in Genesis 1. It was the same thing that happened in Genesis 3. It was the same thing that happened to Saul when Samuel told him. He said, go amongst the prophets. The Lord's going to make you a king today. And when you do, you're, you're going to begin to prophesy. The word prophecy right there, it's not the Hebrew word nabaim. It means to speak unintelligibly. And when Saul went and fell amongst the prophets, he began, prophesy. And in Hebrew, it said he was speaking unintelligibly. And he said, there it is, you've become a king. You have now inherited the promise that God set over you. You have been turned into another man, is what it said. You are now becoming kings. And that's why when the people heard the voice on Exodus 19, the Bible said they feared the voice. And God said, bring the people near. I want to make them a nation of priests. And the Bible says they heard the voice falling in the fire and they feared the voice. They looked at Moses. They said, preacher, you go for us. And he went and they became a nation with a priest rather than becoming a nation of priests. And so Paul or Peter stands up in the upper room and he says, all these people are speaking in tongues and it's freaking people out. And they're all like, man, they're drunk. He's like, yeah, this this is the new wine. We got drunk in the garden, this is a better wine. Jews believe that Adam and Eve plucked a grape. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, remember that miracle I did beginning of my ministry where I turned water to wine and I removed the shame from my bride? Watch what I'm gonna do at the end. Jesus on the cross drinks wine, comes out of his rib, water. And we, his bride, the shame was removed. He reversed every curse. He's participating in everything. And so if he entered the world through an impossible door, he's gonna leave through one. He leaves through death. Death couldn't hold him. And so do you know what you and I get? Rest in the salvation. I can look inside the boat and I can see The atonement. I could say the blood was put on the outside. I can't see it, but I believe it's working. I believe the forgiveness of God removed all of my sins. I can't see it, but I know it's working. But what he has given me, I'm thankful for. He gave me tongues, and by those tongues, I know that it's working. I can see the atonement on the inside. I heard the rushing mighty wind blowing through that upper room. That was the Rembrandt. That was all the paintings from the past mashed together into Acts 2. I have spent my life studying this. Why? I doubted all of these things when my son passed away, when people People preached to me, they said, just plead the blood and your family will be safe. Well, I pled the blood and I lost my three-year-old in a house fire. So, what did I do? I went to school. I started studying Hebrew. I started digging into theology. And I said, if y'all lied to me about pleading the blood, y'all probably lied to me about tongues. You probably lied to me about the name of Jesus. You probably lied to me about holiness. And so, what did I do? I said, I'm not gonna take y'all's word for it. I'm gonna go see it for myself. And what I did is all of this, I didn't get this from any scholar. I didn't hear this from some theologian. This is me been digging, I've been reading the book of, I've been reading the Bible in Hebrew for the past six years and it just keeps showing up everywhere and I said okay God I can preach this with confidence because it's not my opinion it's not because I'm Pentecostal it's because the book says it but you know what I get here let's play devil's advocate musicians come let's say I'm wrong Let's, let's go on that Let's say none of this is important. Let's say it's all me caught up in hype. Let's say it's me misreading that. Let's say I'm wrong. Let's say I die today. And none of this matters. There is no god. Let's say. Well, because of this, I just got peace. I just I got a successful marriage, that's all because 98% of marriages in the church, hear me, that's Barna Group statistic, 98% of marriages in the church fail when the child passes away. Church statistic. So let's say I'm wrong. Say I'm doing all this for nothing. All I did was just have a healthy marriage. All I got was joy. All I got was laughter even after calamity. I can sleep at night with peace. I have ethics and my marriage is strong because my wife trusts me and I trust her because we built our lives based on the word of God. I have, I have rest because I, I feel that I followed the book and by following his death, his burial, his resurrection, his death through repentance, his burial and baptism, his resurrection, but I'm gonna add one more to that that apostolics don't always say. His life, now that I've died, I've been buried, I've been resurrected through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, I can now live the way he lived. That's why John said, if you keep his commandments and you love him, then you ought to walk in the manner in which he walked. That means I'm gonna have joy because of this salvation. I can rest because of this salvation. The land can be healed because of this salvation. But more than all of that, I can look out on the waters and I can hope when rest enters salvation it looks out over calamity and rest starts hoping but if we're going to play that side of the coin let's play the other let's say I'm right and you're wrong then that means I get peace here I get joy here I get hope here when I'm called up, I get heaven. I get to hear, well done, good, faithful. You understand I'm not worthy of those things. Jesus said, There's none good, none but the Father. How can He call me good? He's not calling me good, He's looking at the Spirit that I was filled with. I'm not faithful. That's a fruit of the Spirit. He's looking at me. I don't get to gloat. He looks at me and he says, well done, preacher of righteousness. He built a boat. In 2023, where people doubted it, you built a boat. You studied it. You didn't take a preacher's word for it. You went and saw it for yourself. You dug. You seen it. You got the theology of the wind. Well done. You saw what the upper deck, middle deck, and lower deck meant. Well done. You didn't get into debates and arguments why oneness is better than Trinity. You just let the Bible be the Bible, and you weren't looking for an argument. You were looking for truth. Well done. You studied the word languages, and you saw it that when I gave my people a language, it was me bringing them back. If being a good person is good enough, then why? did God send Peter to go to Cornelius' house he was a good man, he was praying and giving his alms and yet he sends Peter and when Peter gets there he preaches to them and when he preaches the Gentiles, me and you got access and guess what happened to Cornelius he began to speak in other tongues and not just him but his whole household Cornelius built a boat and it saved his family People say, well, how come it's not tongues everywhere in the Bible? How come it's only in like five places? The same way when you read a novel. Do they give you the description of the main character every page? They don't have to tell you every single page. The main character's got long flowing blonde hair and blue eyes. They don't do that. That's established in chapter one. That's the standard. You know what the character looks like now. Now that Jesus, 47% of your Bible's narrative. When you read the book of Acts, it's a narrative. And when when the Spirit shows up, that's the description of how the Spirit shows up. They're not gonna belabor the point every single time. You're reading a book looking for doctrine and theology. You're supposed to read a narrative and let the narrative tell you theology. This is not a theological essay. It's the greatest story ever told. And when you read it as such, you get the theology in the doctrine. This is not a book to help you win an argument against somebody. The purpose is, let me tell you, judgment's coming, but let me spend the whole book telling you about how to be saved from it. I have hope. And so hear me right now. Heaven is what I'm hoping for. And I'm so thankful that the man who was the ark, my salvation, looked at us in Acts and he said, where I go? a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. There wasn't room for me when I showed up. There'll be room for you when you show up. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm truth. I would have told you. But where I go, you will be also. Build the boat and when the water's start rising, it's going to bring you up to the place of heavenlies. And you're going to walk on those golden shores. You hear me right now. I am living for nothing more and absolutely nothing less than heaven. You want to split hell wide open? Be my guest. As for me in the Holloway home, we're going to split heaven wide open. I am going to walk through gates of pearl. I'm going to hear him look at the spirit within me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He mentions two of the fruit right at the entrance. Faithfulness and joy and when I walk in, you can have look, you need to get your own heaven, I got mine here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to walk past a pit according to Isaiah 14 and there's the adversary going to be locked away and when I look at him, we're going to say the nations are going to say, is this the man who caused all the trouble to the nations? He's trampled down and I'm going to lift up my eyes unto the heel from what's come with my help and there's going to be the Lord God Almighty the one seated on the throne, the ancient of days, the one who told John I am the beginning and the end I am the one who died and I live forevermore that's out of the mouth of the ancient of days himself god himself said i'm the one who lived and died and lived forevermore and i'm gonna walk to that man jesus and i'm gonna wrap my arms around him and i'm gonna say without your plan i would have lost twice i'm gonna brag on him I'm gonna look him in the face and I'm gonna tell the world, give me five seconds. I wanna tell him myself, because of you, I had peace. Because of your salvation, I had joy. Because of your plan through the death, the burial, the resurrection, the life, I get, where's Levi by the way? I get him back because of you gave me rest you gave me hope thank you he's gonna say I got something for you. He's going to bring a little blonde-headed, blue-eyed boy, three years old. He's going to come to me, and I'm going to grab him up. And as I'm bowing down, the Lord's going to come, the Bible says, with a crown of suffering. And he's going to put it on my head. And I've already made up my mind. It's not going to sit there even a millisecond. I'm going to say, no, you are the crown. You're the king. Here's what I've been waiting for. Your word, I've been reading it. It tells me that I'm going to cast these crowns. Levi, watch. I didn't get to show you how to cast a fishing line. Today, though, I've been looking forward to this. I'm going to cast them. I'm going to cast a crown. So you do what you want. That's for me in the Holloway home. We're resting in our salvation and I'm hoping for my redemption. First, First Corinthians 15, if you can put that up there for me. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ is not risen, everything I've done today is empty. Your faith is also empty, by the way. You did all this for nothing, you just wasted the past two hours of your day. Yes, we're found false witnesses of God because we have testified of a God that he has raised up Christ, whom he didn't raise up. In fact, the dead don't rise, the dead are gone, you're never gonna see your family again. For if the dead do not rise, Christ isn't risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is pointless. You're still in your sins, you're gonna die lost. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished. If in this life only though, we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now, here's the facts. Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So if Christ shot up out of that grave, everybody who followed his plan, they also shoot up out of that grave. So you you can take all the prosperity you want. I'm not selling you your best life now. It may, your ship may rock. Your salvation can be moved in the waves, but here's what you can have. You can have hope in what's coming is better. Would you run to these altars, throw those hands up, and would you begin to just praise him for everything that he's done. The Bible tells us that he will inhabit the praises of Israel. We have been grafted into Israel now. And would you lift up a voice unto him with thanksgiving. Would you lift up a voice unto him and say, God, I see now that I've got everything I need to rest. I see now that I have everything I need in order to hope. I see now what your plan is. Thank you for giving me the blueprints. Thank you for giving those keys to Peter. Thank you for teaching me what I must do to be saved. God, I'm going to put the atonement on the outside to the precious sister that's here today. You're going to be baptized in a precious name. And I can with utmost confidence tell you, just as you come out of that water, you will soon someday also rise up unto heaven just like you did out of that water. Death couldn't hold him. Death can't hold you because you're the bride. You're from the finished work of the second Adam. There's no in his church anymore because of the blood of the lamb and now we have the ability to rise up because of the spirit that's within us. that's it First Peter tells us we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead your living hope is here would you rest in that salvation and would you hope for heaven would you get an image of heaven in your mind right now and with that vision that's on your mind would you begin to worship him from that place and would you see yourself standing before the throne like those precious people in Revelation 5 and would you cry out worthy is the lamb which was slain to receive glory and honor and power and might and riches. That is what we're going to cry someday. But to sing that new song, we've got to sing this song. The song of salvation. The song of the redeemed is what we sing now before we sing the song in heaven. God is going to bring all of this back together. We were divided by the tongue at Babel and we're reunited at the tongue. The Lord has a language it's not german it's not mandarin it's not english it's a heavenly tongue the bible calls it it's a heavenly language it's the language of angels and when we do that we're being elevated to heavenly places It says, see yourself. See yourself being reunited with those who have gone on before us. See yourself being reunited with that cloud of witnesses. See yourself walking through a beautiful meadow with Moses. See yourself walking through streets of gold with a man named Noah. See yourself walking and asking questions to a judge named Deborah. Would you see yourself walking, talking to Jael? Would you see yourself talking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, asking her questions, how did you do it? How did it feel? talk to them would you see yourself in heaven walking and talking with those who have gone on before us those who are loved ones would you see yourself talking to those who died in the faith during a pandemic see yourself worshiping God with a whole family members see yourself reclining at table the ultimate rest at the wedding supper of the lamb no more worry no more anxiety no more pain nothing there but peace forevermore that is your rest that is your joy That is your peace. That is where we derive our strength from. It's from the salvation given to us. your eyes closed hands raised i was in texas at a conference earlier in the year and i was in that service and i watched an angel walk into the room and when it did i saw him holding a gift he was walking from person to person trying to hand it to them and in the spirit some received it some rejected it i asked the lord i said what is that angel doing? And he said, I've sent that angel to travel with you everywhere you go. He's gonna be with you from now on, here on out. And I said, well, what's he handing them? He said, he's trying to give people peace. He said, I'm sending you out with a gospel of peace. He said, speak this to the people that I'm giving them an opportunity to enter into my rest, to have my peace. That angel is here today. He's walking through this room. I can feel him. I'm beginning to learn what he feels like when he comes into the room. He's here right now. Would you just say, I want it. I want peace. I want peace. It comes through everything that the word of God just said. That peace comes through salvation. You can rest in it. You can stake your life on it. You can put your confidence in it. You can know it won't sink when the world floods. It won't It won't sink. It's sure. It's steadfast. It's based and built on his faithfulness. God is wanting to impart unto you peace right now. The problems in your life, salvation can rock. It just can't sink. God's not going to give you easy. He's going to give you peace. You can have peace in a storm. That's why Jesus could sleep in them, because he is peace. Your boat can rock, but Jesus, as long as he's on it, he can give you rest. Would you enter into him, and would you go and partake in that rest?